Welcome to Sticky Interviews. I'm Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. We are the provider of leadership development and soft skills training to the grocery and manufacturing industry. The idea of these interviews is to share great ideas, great concepts and great ways these skills are being used to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this sticky interview with me, Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of sticky learning. And today I have the great pleasure of interviewing Helena Bajani. And I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I didn't check this last time just to make sure. Digging into the depths of creativity and understanding around virtual classrooms. So yes, we've experienced some unprecedented times. I'm not sure how many times that word's been used across the internet in the last three months. Uh, this has really challenged us as trainers. It has really challenged us as L&D professionals. It has really challenged us on a social level of how we connect with each other virtually and physically. And having seen some of the work that Helena's doing and the, you know, the, the environment which, in which she works in, obviously, you know, 41 different locations. Was it 5,000 employees across 41 locations? I seem to remember something like this. Yeah, you something know, it's, like that. Yeah. That's a huge spread of people in a huge number of places. You know, it's not just one or two offices, it's multiple locations. So I wanted to have a conversation with Helena. I wanted to find out what, what she does and how she's coped in these situations. But she's bringing with her 15 years uh, of empowering people to learn and grow while focusing their work in three key areas, corporate culture, work environment, and leadership development, leadership and employee development. And her experiences have been previously at Newell Brands as a HR business partner, and then more recently as the head of L&D for Antalis as well. So in this conversation, we're going to dig into all that, that experience in all these areas, and we're going to be digging into virtual classrooms, getting creative online, and how you use these tools to your advantage in a global arena such as you do. Firstly, thank you for being here, Helena. You know, it's really appreciated. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. It's a pleasure. First question for me always is why do you do what you do? So that's an, um, an important one. You know, when you know your why, uh, everything falls into place. For me, it's something that I've been, you know, thinking about for a long time that drove my career. I'm lucky uh, that I found my why early in my career and I was able to uh, work towards that. So I always think that we spend so much time at work and it wouldn't it be great if people like uh, came to work passionate about what they do, feeling like they are adding value. And this is actually what drives, every, drives everything that I do. It's helping build better workplaces, helping empowering people, like you said, um, helping them learn and grow. And I found that through learning and development, we can do a lot of that. Of course, it's not the only area that touches upon that, uh, but it's one of the ways that we can uh, help build better workplaces for people to come to be, you know, happy where they work uh, about what they do and I feel that they add value so I take that from the learning perspective so I love really identifying needs whether it's people's needs or just the business needs and come up with solutions uh, and when I say solutions sometimes it's learning sometimes it's something else so this is where our added value comes uh, into place and 
yeah, helping people, helping design experiences as well for people. It's something that we're hearing more about, but I truly believe in that. And virtual learning is part of that. So uh, I, like you said, work in global environments. I enjoy that very much. And when you work in global environments, uh, you, are, you are working with people from different cultures. And most of the time, the structure is very matrix-like. It's cross-functional and it's also very diverse. So this difference um, is something that for me is uh, incredible because it drives so much uh, value. I use the state word value a lot, but it, it drives so much. The difference is so enriching. Um, so yeah, I love tapping into that and helping people see how uh, it can be impactful. And this is where virtual learning can be very powerful as well. Yeah, huge. I know that, that prime thing that kind of jumped out to me you know, is when you know your why, I can't remember if it was Nietzsche, Nietzsche said, you know, if you not understand your why, you can survive anyhow. Or, or exactly. Anyone, you, know, it is. you can, it's just, uh, you know, well, you, any road will take you where you want to go. Yeah. If you yeah. don't know your why, any, any road will take you. And this is the thing, so uh, uh, a gentleman I kind of interacted with a little while ago, you know, you, you said your purpose is never unknown. It's either unclear unfocused or unstructured so it always exists underneath whatever you're doing it's mm. just whether or not we have the, the focus to understand what it looks like and the structure in order to make it happen on a daily basis and luckily for you and the people that you work with you find that in L&D and connecting with people and helping to increase that level of understanding the other part that kind of jumps out for me is and it was a post from Darren the founder at MBM you know, we go to school we learn all this stuff and then when we go to work, we have no idea how to manage our time. We have no idea how to sell a product. We have no idea how to negotiate a better deal on something. Now, all these things that are really, really important to life, and we spend the first you know, 20 years of our education or whatever it is not learning these things. Exactly. And then when you come into L&D, it's just like, ah, now I've got an opportunity to share this stuff that's really important with people. How do I make it work? And how do I get to more people? So it's phenomenally powerful. Yeah, and like, I mean, I mean, today, to be honest, we have so many new jobs, new roles that are going to emerge, that are emerging. So, uh, you know, uh, traditional schools cannot keep up with that. There are so many things that people will need, will need to learn on the job, you know, through experience that, uh, you know, you can't have degrees for everything. And uh, yesterday I was actually having a conversation with a friend who wanted to go into something specific to e-commerce. And this is not something that um, you can find a degree in. So there is a, this company that trains people on the job and helps them, you know, learn the skills. And I found it really interesting. Just breaking my sound on the computer there for two seconds. Is, and that is the interesting thing. Like, okay, there's a new world that's coming that is here and is, you know, is starting to materialize. Um, we homeschool, we opted to homeschool, you know, sometime before this situation. And I know of people that are using virtual classrooms. So they're already using virtual classrooms to help homeschool their children in certain specific subjects that they want them to learn or their children want to learn more about. And actually now, more teachers are having to do that. You know, these guys that were doing this virtual classrooms, literally for you know, school-aged children, they're already ahead of the curve because they were doing it, you know, three, four, five years ago. Whereas all of a sudden these teachers over here are suddenly like pushed into this camp. Oh, well, we don't know how to use Zoom and we have no idea how to deal with this. And we have no idea how that's going to affect our thinking or the, or the brains of our children. Whereas these guys are ahead of the curve already. 
Um, so there's going to be new job titles coming out, as you say, whether it's for teachers, you know, online teaching assistants or whatever it is. No. Actually, there's this new world that's coming out of it. And no, there won't be degrees for all of it, but there's definitely going to be some very specific skill sets that are going to make a difference for that. Yeah. And, you know, the pandemic forced people, forced people to uh, learn new skills that no one could just teach them. Yep. It was a new setting. It wasn't a normal setting. So uh, even old courses that you could find on how you can, you know, uh, do that was, were not totally relevant to the situation. We're all learning together. Yeah, correct. And it's, and it's a phrase that I've used several times, it's the intensity of proximity. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. the, the intensity of being with your family 24 seven is like, holy cow, I need to like, you know, you need some space. And then it's the intensity of your work. It's just like, okay, actually, um, it, there might have been these courses to help you teach online, but they weren't there to help you understand what they would feel like if you're doing it eight hours a day, every day for the last four months. You know? Exactly. Yeah. With, with all the pressure and the mental stress about what's going on in the environment around me, what's going to happen next, you know, yep. all the uncertainty, the change. Exactly that. So kind of the only answer that, you know, a, a sort of fraction of what was actually required in this circumstance, yeah, it kind of touched it, but actually what does that really look like when we're doing it for, you know, three, four months in a row? What does that look exactly. like when we're doing it 10 hours a day and, and how is it going to affect us? So yeah, I, there's some valuable lessons out of in this situation, but also in this situation of what is it we're enjoying doing? How do we develop the skill sets and how do we get more flexible for the future when certain things change and, and when we want to create a different environment? And rather yeah. than having the pressure put on us, we apply the right amount of tension. So actually we're constantly developing and evolving rather than being complacent in what we think or, or how we think the world should be working based on what we've done. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is then, what is a, a, a virtual classroom example for you? What's one that really works for you? So you did mention virtual classroom in the education system, like with schools and everything. Um, it's not something that I'm uh, familiar with because it's a different setting. Uh, the objectives are very different. I'm more familiar to virtual classrooms for adult learning, um, mostly in workplaces. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years. Um, so virtual, virtual training, um, if I would call it, is, can take so many different forms. You know, it could be anything that you learn online. But if you want to put the word training to it or classroom, it has to be for a smaller group of people. It has to have very clear objectives, very focused. Um, it's not like if you think about different examples of online virtual uh, learning happening, you can think about webinars, podcasts, whatever we're doing now, um, you know, webcasts. There are so many different ways uh, to learn online, but virtual training is very specific because it has, it must have specific objectives. It goes deeper into the learning. Um, and I'm focusing on that because you design for such courses differently from how you would develop uh, content for an, an, a different uh, online learning, like a webinar or, or uh, a podcast or something else. So it's very important to be clear about what you're doing so that you can develop your content and prepare your session accordingly. Uh, a virtual classroom is a classroom that's usually 
for small groups of people, like 15, 20 maximum. And it's really designed for collaboration. So people should be coming in, they shouldn't be passive in it, they are very active. Um, and it's, uh, it's actionable. So participants are expected to interact, to be engaged so that they learn together and they create value uh, when they are in the session together. So they are coming up with something. Um, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's really, um, it's something for me that's not an event that just happens uh, like one time and that's it. It usually happens as part of something bigger. Tell me more about that something bigger. Yeah. So for me, learning happens before you get to your virtual session, your Agreed. virtual training. Um, once we send people, you know, the details uh, about the objectives of what you're trying to achieve, ideally, uh, they, they should be involved in it. You know, they should, it should address a specific need that they have and they should be clear about the need, whether it's something that they, they identified for themselves, so they subscribe to a course, or whether it's something that the business has identified and it was personalized for them. But either way, it won't be successful unless they are um, willing and motivated and committed to learn. So learning does happen before, before the classroom. Uh, and I think it's the same principles apply for face-to-face. -face. Um, it's just harder for virtual because you need to design for all the collaboration that's gonna happen online. And you're actually competing for the attention of your people. When they are in a small room, you just tell them in the classroom, you just tell them, you know, don't use your computers. If you want to take a call, go outside. You know, all the facilitators know these rules that you set at the beginning. And when it's virtual, you, you don't get to set the rules, although, you know, you can ask them to share their videos or whatever, but you are fighting for their attention. And this attention is shared with other distractions that are happening. It's sometimes in their mind, like we were saying about, you know, thinking about maybe people in their family that are sick, uh, children that they need to take care of, um, being interrupted by, by their children or a family member. Uh, you know, what's going to happen next. There is so much in their mind. And also they can check other things online and on their phone and you cannot see that. So lots of distractions. So you need to make sure that whatever you're preparing for designing um, is engaging so that you get their attention and they are willing to give you this attention. And I think this is what makes it uh, challenging, but at the same time, uh, exciting if it works well. Yeah, agreed. And it is, it's the pre-work where people are engaging in it and they understand what they're coming into and, and what they need to prepare for mentally. And also a bit of the expectation setting with them up front. You know, we're going to be talking this. I'm going to be asking you some questions. It's going to look like this, da, da, da. And, and making sure they're ready for that, they come in. Uh, and it's the same with our sticky learning lunches. You know, I'm doing 20 minutes of content, but every single day I'm telling people to put their phones on flight mode. I'm telling people to shut their emails down. The interesting thing you have with GoToWebinar is you can see whether or not they're on different pages. So yeah. there's, a, there's a little sign that comes up to say whether actually not they, whether your screen- Webex allow that as well. Yeah. yeah, so you can start to see kind of your engagement and then you get percentages at the end to say, oh, how engaged were the participants? Yeah, the percentage of time they spent yeah. on your screen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so it kind of, it gives you, a, um, it gives you a flavor of how your sessions are going. I mean, I use a lot of questions in my session because I want them to engage, I want them to be thinking. Uh, the other part is, you know, you talked about turning the video on. I saw an advert, I can't remember if it was on Facebook or LinkedIn, and it was a special arm for a mobile phone. So you could, you could position your mobile phone 
And what they were advertising was it was for a student in a virtual classroom in a university. And the person had videoed themselves just sitting there staring at a, a camera, almost like a Zoom camera. And then they put this up on their thing and they held it next to the, the, the camera on the computer, playing the video of them sitting there doing that while they were off doing something else. So there's even companies advertising how to get out of paying attention or looking. <laughs> yeah, it's a business. Absolutely. There's a business in being distracted. I mean, it's horrendous. They're even selling you know, apparatus to make this work. No, no it's not okay. Especially yeah. for us in the learning and development industries. Like putting candy at the eye level of the kids when you go to the supermarket. Same strategy. <laughs> um, I think the people that design this strategy don't have kids. And then when they actually design that strategy and they realize what happened when they did have kids, then they realized how wrong they were. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> or they have kids and they know what works, so they make money out of it. <laughs> it's not good. It's not helpful. <laughs> no. So look. So how do you then, because I mean, you said it a little while ago about how you prepare differently. What is it you do then that helps you to prepare for that virtual space? What do you do yeah. that makes it work? I think, yeah, like the thing that I said earlier that learning starts before the session is very important and you can leverage that and use it because um, I think the better, that there are things that could happen um, in the virtual classroom like I said, it has to be something that's collaborative. People need to come and, and be expected to interact and all of that. For this to happen, you need to make sure that uh, you design content accordingly, that you think about what you're trying to achieve. What do you want them to get out of the session? What do you want them to learn? So thinking about the need, your objectives, uh, you think about the impact of your session, of your learning in general, you need to think about what is it that they can learn outside of your virtual session so that you limit the time that you have together, you use it the most efficient way, uh, and you limit this time for collaboration, for discussions, for things that you cannot do offline. So I think the best way to use it, this is why I said it's part of something bigger, it's like a part of a puzzle, it's uh, having like a blended approach where you would have them do a pre-work or read something or think about something before the session. And then uh, they come prepared, you know, they come to the session, they would have learned about the concept, they, have, they are in, this, in the right um, mindset, they know what the topic is about. So you can build a second level, you know, it's not like you're starting from scratch. For me, I think this is something valuable once you're doing virtual learning is not starting. Sometimes it's not possible because it's just one event and that's it. But for it to be most impact, impactful, uh, learning should start beforehand so that the learners know what, they, what is expected, what to expect, what they should expect from the session and what is expected of them in terms of interaction, engagement, um, collaboration. So this is an, an important point. Um, to prepare for it, there are so many things to take into account. Uh, so collaboration, like I said, is key. Uh, how do you prepare for collaboration? Today we have so many tools that are available. So you mentioned uh, go to uh, training, you have you know WebEx, Zoom, all these allow for so many different features. Um, and I think we need to take into account that learners, people learn differently, you have different learning styles. And doesn't mean that you need to use one style per person, but you need to use a variety of styles. People need to, um, you know, be solicited in different ways so that you can, they can learn better, so that you get their attention and they can learn better. Um, 
So you need to prepare accordingly. You need to prepare uh, for collaboration, not for content delivery. You know, it's just this shift in mindset is already critical um, when you're preparing for collaboration, not just to deliver content and just be there talking. Uh, so there are so many tools. So you can have breakout sessions, you can have icebreakers, you can use the chat to get them to interact. I usually uh, have like a list of questions, open questions that I have on the side. When it goes silent, I would just uh, launch these. Um, it's important to engage with learners like every three, four minutes so that you keep them um, with you. Uh, like we said, so that you can compete with the attention for their attention. So you need to plan for that. It doesn't just happen. For example, if you're having a whiteboard activity, you need to make sure that you are clear about what you expect from them, how you're going to debrief it. I once attended a session where the activity was excellent, but then when it was over, the facilitator didn't have anything to say. So they asked the, one of the parts, a volunteer to debrief what, what was written and it was awkward and no one of course responded. But it's very important to prepare for how, what you're getting out of each activity. It's not just designing the activity for the fun of it or for using the variety. You need to be intentional about what you're doing. Um, but designing learning for uh, online is different from face-to-face. -face. For, for example, in face-to-face, -face, you will be able, you have a flip chart activity, you will put people in small groups, um, they will then, one of them will just share what they've uh, come up with, present what they have on the flip chart. You can have role plays. And many of these things can happen online. And there are even more interesting tools that you can use online, like for example, polls or, uh, you know, asking uh, impromptu questions. There are so many things that could be done that are fun, engaging, and people love these tools. They feel like, uh, you know, they are engaged without having to do a lot to have to make an, to add a lot of effort. So um, there are so many things you need to think about, but you need to think about collaboration. Once you think you you have collaboration in mind, uh, think about the variety, the different activities that you can uh, plan for, so that you get them to learn your you know to reach your objectives. Of course, everything needs to link back to your objectives and what you're trying to achieve vital so you for us and you know, this, you know we have a single learner objective we don't have four five six seven eight nine objectives you know we have one and we focus in on that and then you know every action that we take moves us towards that then that collaboration piece you talk about and actually that works in so many different areas is there has to be that variety of content why because we know at making business matter with sticky learning how we make the learning stick is there has to be a video. So we're using the visual part of the brain instead of watching a video. We have to use a quiz or a competition. So we're getting, we're using that competitive nature of each other. As a coach, you know, I would rather coach people in a training session than rather than stand there for 90% of the day just telling them X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm, you know, is that what I have brought from the live environment to the, the online space is making sure that I answer, asking the questions because I want to keep them engaged. And the more questions you ask, the easier it is for them to stay off WhatsApp, to stay off Twitter, to stay off Facebook, because then they have to show they're paying attention. And, and people feel like they are uh, valued and appreciated once yes. you want their insight and you, they participate. And I feel more interested in learning about what others have to say as well. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and there's two sides of that. It's when I was at school, I remember if you, know, if you were daydreaming or looking out the window, 
the first person that gets asked the question is the person daydreaming. Normally me looking out the window wondering what's going on. And the teacher does it to break that kind of spell that you're in. But then they do it as a point to prove a point. You know, and mm. trainers, you know, trainers and teachers that do this, you know, they break the relationship when they do this. When though the person is engaged and they give something, and it's the same when you're online, is I see the answers coming to the questions when they're you know in the questions box or the chat box. And then I talk about it. That's really great. That does that, and actually that leads us back to this. So you know, people show they're paying attention. I then incorporate what they're suggesting, which helps them to develop the thinking of the other people. And it, like you say, it creates that that um, uh, that group conversation, even though these people are in completely different countries. Exactly. Absolutely exactly. vital. Yeah. What would you say the advantages of a virtual training and a virtual classroom are? I'm honestly very excited that this is coming more popular uh, because I've been using it. And, you know, when the pandemic started, I was surprised that, I mean, I know that everyone was going to go virtual. It makes sense. But I was surprised that uh, very few uh, people used it. Not very few, but lots of people didn't use it, let me say. Um, and we're like lost and thinking about how are we going to go virtual, digital, all of that. Because I've been doing it for a long time and I, for me, it's like everyone was doing it, but I was doing it because I was working in a global environment and honestly, it has lots of advantages. For me, the biggest advantage of virtual, it's not, I mean, let me just say first that it's not the solution to everything. You cannot just decide that a face-to-face -face session, any face-to-face -face session can be converted into virtual. It's not how it works because there are things that could happen better face-to-face -face. Um, and of course for example if you're teaching someone i don't know how to use a tool it's better if you're coaching them you're next to them you're showing them you can do it online but it's easier face-to-face -face. Um, anyway so virtual is not a solution for everything but virtual can be very powerful because you can um, reach people at the point of need so if they need something, they don't have to wait for a classroom session to be scheduled so they can register to it, block their whole day and go and attend. So you can uh, schedule it closer to the time that they need it so that it's coming like in the flow of work and they can apply it right, right away. Um, it's not like an event that happens separately, scheduled sometime, um, sometime and it, that's one of the advantages. Another advantage is that it saves so much travel costs. I think companies are going to continue on doing virtual because they realize that there are things that don't require you to be traveling and uh, coming into an office uh, for a whole day, you know, with the hotels, the flights and all of that just to attend the training. I'm not saying it's not important. Sometimes it's going to be important, uh, but it saves a lot of costs. Um, it's practically, you know, cost-free if you do something virtual. People can do it uh, on their desk or, you know, in, at the office, in their home, so you can reach them anytime. I mean, the advantages are really countless if you get to think about it. So you save a lot of money and people can go back to their work environment right afterwards. It just flows nicely. It's not something that you need to just dedicate. It could be a full day, but I would never recommend that but it could be something that's closer to their work. So you can, for example, split it into different sessions. Instead of having like one full day, you can have two, two hours for like three, four days, uh, or even spread it even more in time, which is even better because we all know that, you know, once, when you have a two day training, for example, it's important like the, 
break that you get in the evening to understand what you've learned. And the second day, usually you come, you know, with a fresh mind, you have, you would have assimilated some of the concept that you have learned and you can even learn better than just having everything uh, in one day. So splitting this in time allows people to think about it, to integrate the concept, to be able to applying, apply it, and maybe come back and share their experiences. And this is where, and this is why I said blended learning could be a right solution because the more you spread it in time and use different ways, uh, you can have like many virtual classrooms that are scheduled alongside with, you know, peer-to-peer -peer coaching, uh, sharing sessions, you know, using a forum to chat, for, pe for uh, the group to learn from each other, to ask questions, to fail and to learn from their failures. There are so many advantages to it. So yeah, for me, virtual learning is really powerful if you use it effectively uh, to reach people when they need it. Uh, it saves costs and it also is more impactful because you know, you're helping them succeed whenever they need it. I think that's, for me, it's kind of coming up with, especially in an internet, international environment, you know, you're asking people to maybe come to a centralized point for you know, three, four days worth of intensive training and then go back out again. Well, actually, you could break it down into the smaller modules. You know, it could be bite-sized chunks. It's less travel. You know, it's more productive. Um, it, you know, it's, it's better for the environment and you're helping people to get an idea, take some action, and then come back with that learning and then share it with the group and then go and do the next action. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think the disadvantages are to it? Of course, we talked about the, the attention of people. So if they are doing something else or they are worried about, you know, a meeting, a presentation they need to make an hour after your uh, the virtual training, they might not be fully present. Um, and sometimes some people prefer face-to-face -face, uh, because they, they connect with others better when it's, you know, in person. So virtual cannot replace face-to-face, -face, it's just different. I think it needs to be used in a mix um, of ways. Um, some other ad advantages, for example, would be uh, disadvantages is um, when you have people who are maybe sometimes not, uh, not good in, if you're speaking, if you're having your session in English, for example, and people are not native English speakers, they might miss some of, the, of what you're saying, of the message, um, especially, you know, everything nonverbal that happens. So I always encourage people to use their webcam. Uh, whether it's the facilitator and also the participants, but you can still miss a lot because you only have, you know, the words, the tone of the voice, uh, which is a big part of the communication, but we all know that nonverbal is a huge part. Um, and it's something that's harder to uh, spot on virtually, to just, you know, detect virtually. Uh, when part, I mean, you can, you can tell if someone is not fully engaged or they don't get something, but sometimes you can just, it can just go unnoticed uh, because they are quiet, they didn't say anything. Whereas in a classroom, you would feel it if they would be asking questions, asking their colleagues, or you can see their body language being, you know, shut down. So I think this is one of the things that are a bit tricky, that is a bit tricky um, when it comes to virtual uh, training. Agreed. And I think the thing also is, when I'm in a, when I'm delivering content, I move around the class. I I move around the space. So I'm you know I'm, I'm I'm seeing the person there and I'm looking over there and I can kind of see them in my periphery while I'm looking over there. And I, like you say, that body language you can feel it shuts down or, or opens up or whatever it is. 
you know, when you've got 25 little faces in front of you on Zoom, yeah. Yeah. you can't see, you know, I can't, you know, because... And if you're sharing slides, it's like it adds the, uh, yeah. Even less. You know, also because the, the environment that each person is in diff is different, your brain closes off to them because it can't compute it. Whereas when you've got everyone in the same environment, it can differentiate, you know, say if your walls are blue, you can differentiate the faces of the people and you can, you, and you, like you say, you get more of a sensation for it. Mm. So, and I think it goes back to that earlier point is, you know, it probably has to be smaller groups. So maybe you're working with five or six people maximum in smaller yeah, parts of that's groups. even ideal yeah yeah over over a longer period of time doing that content it will be the same amount of time but it's just spread out over a few more weeks instead of you know three days or so absolutely how effective do you think virtual learning is i think virtual learning can be very very effective if you take into account two things uh, the impact of your learning, so what you're trying to achieve, and also the learning experience in itself. Um, so you need to think about it and design it um, with the end in mind, like what are your objectives, instead of just delivering content, like I said earlier. So focus on the learner. So what, what should the learner learn? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? What can they learn on their own? So if you do that, you think about, you know, what we were saying earlier, about splitting the content, maybe have them learn things on their own instead of reading something in the class, maybe they can read it beforehand so that when you're in the class, it's more engaging. And once you're clear about your objectives, make sure that you create dialogue, you know, like you design for opportunities for collaboration, not just design content. Um, so that, you know, the, the time that you spend together is a time where, it's social and it's also, you, cre you are creating something together, um, not just, you know, pushing uh, content to them. So I think if you take into account these two things, you know, the impact and also uh, the learning experience that you're designing, it could be really effective. And it comes back to that collaboration piece. And as you were saying, it is the person needs to be, you know, hyper clear why they're going to be in the room, clear agenda. Here's the pre-work and also hyper clear as to why the pre-work is necessary and what that feeds into and what the cost is if they don't do that. So if they fail to do that, what's the ramifications for the training session? What's the benefit if they do do it? And then part of my thinking, it was also kind of getting to that place where you start to buddy people up before the sessions. So maybe there's a bit of a pre-conversation. So here's your pre-work, read this, Here's your buddy, collaborate with them, see what other ideas come up. Because when you get into the training room, we're going to have a group conversation about what you've learned about it. So you're already creating that collaboration and connection before you get into the classroom. And then that enables the people. So when people are in the room, they've actually got someone to talk to. You know, they've actually got a connection. Oh, did you get that? Do you understand that? I didn't get that. You know, you're starting to build that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a nice uh, strategy. And you can do so many things before the session so that they feel like they need, they see the value in collaborating and, and interacting and engaging. They see why, what's in it for them. Uh, and they can come more motivated and, you know, you, have, you would have already won. Agreed. Agreed. And the other part, you know, is the thing about Zoom where you have those little breakout rooms where you can split the group up into smaller organisms, you know, um, organisations in that 
but then it's difficult if you're one trainer in a virtual space with however many people you know you mm. can't be in all rooms all the time and listen to you know five or six different conversations but having that collaboration piece means that those conversations are already starting to happen yeah and you don't need to be there even if you're in a classroom you're not uh, listening to everyone speaking at the same time mm. for me it's really the same thing you would be with a group and then you're going to move to another group um, and of course, if you're one facilitator, you're not going to listen to everything. And it's not the point. The point is for them to collaborate together, to discuss things, to, uh, you know, evolve their thinking together and just, uh, come back to the bigger uh, session and sometimes share what they have learned or, you know, whatever the activity was about. Mm. I mean, for me, self, not whether it's selfishly or whatever, when I'm in that space and I say I'm teaching coaching skills. And, you know, my largest class that I've ever taught, I think, for that was 28 people, which is, you know, it's a push for one trainer. In that room, though, I'm still listening and I'm picking up bits of the conversation and I'm kind of drawn to, maybe I'm not hearing everything all at the same, mm. but I'm drawn to a conversation. And I'm maybe they're having challenges with the content. Maybe they need a bit more guidance or maybe there's something really interesting happening. And I'm homing in on that because what I want to do is I want to then, you know, extract that information and then share it back out with the group or get them to share it back out with the group. And for me, those, it's imperative, as you said earlier, as having the smaller group so you can hear all the conversation that's going on and making sure that, you know, if you are breaking these people up, the collaboration is really good, it's really clean. And that then when people come back to the group space, okay, what are the top three things that you picked up from this? What do you want to share with the group? So again, it's, smaller groups with two or three points from everybody rather than lots of people and then zeroing in on one key element to you know to extract and share mm. that with everyone yeah there's a, definitely a couple of strategies that I'm, it's good because it's getting me thinking di thinking in different ways about the way we do our our trainings as well thank you mm. uh, how do you go about then how do you create a virtual classroom personally not, not necessarily the technicalities that for you know helena how do you go about doing it for me there are so many elements that i take into account so i make sure i check my audience who they are uh, i think the same concepts apply also for face-to-face -face. knowing who your audience is what do they know about the topic is very important uh, why are are they here whether it's voluntary if they subscribed or if uh, um, if the business made them attend, so you know what to expect, uh, and you know the mindset they will be in. Um, ideally, and I've heard people do that, and I think it's important, you can have conversations. If it's a small group, you can have individual conversations with them before the session to be clear about expect their expectations and adjust accordingly. Uh, one of the things that, are, that I felt is important during the pandemic is, you know, to for me, it's important to create a safe environment for learning to happen, uh, where people feel like they can share and they are, um, no matter what happens, it's okay. Um, so I think as part of the pandemic, one of the things that I've talked about and um, um, I discussed it with a friend as well is asking people at the beginning of the session if there are any challenges they might have during the day, just to make sure that, you know, they are with you. And the fact that they would share that and that they feel that it's okay and you're going to adapt to that, um, you just get them more engaged because they know that they are in a safe space. This is why I, think about, I talk about creating a safe environment. 
this is something important uh, for me. I think it's very important, at least. So um, when I prepare my sessions, I prepare accordingly. So checking my audience, where they come from, what to expect. And also I set my expectations for them. So what, when you set the expectation for collaboration, it's something that you work on. So I send in advance, you know, what are the objectives, what are you trying to achieve? If they, I need them to, uh, I like using icebreakers at the beginning. So um, sometimes in icebreakers, most of the time, it's even more efficient if you get them prepared. So it's not, you don't put them on the spot. Uh, when you, sometimes it's really hard to think about, okay, something, tell me something specific about you that no one knows. And you know, you go blank. I personally go blank when they ask me this question. So uh, I like helping people feel <laughs> like they have time to think about what they wanna share, whether it's something personal just for the fun of it. Uh, and to create the connection, because it's not just about fun. We know that. Um, so I like help having people prepare something in advance. Uh, I like using games sometimes if it's, uh, you know, I use it in face-to-face, -face, but it's something that you can use in virtual, especially if you have uh, a long session, like two, three hours, you can have games to get people, you know, after coming back after breaks and compete. And it could be something non-business related just to unwind and think about, um, you know, have fun together and create connections. Uh, connecting ahead of the session is important to start these social conversations because this is what we miss in the face-to-face -face, actually. Um, because when you go to a face-to-face -face session, you're gonna greet people as they come. Uh, you're gonna spend some time chatting with them. In the virtual environment, if you're starting on time, you're gonna miss that, especially if you haven't spoken to them uh, ahead of time. So I sometimes, uh, I was talking to a friend and I recommended that to her because she was having a full day session. She couldn't have any other option. And I'm like, okay, why don't you have like a happy hour before the session, like the previous day, where everyone would grab their drink, they would join uh, just to chit chat. And this way they would test the technology. So you're winning because uh, you know, you don't have 30 minutes at the beginning. Oh, this uh, audio doesn't work. And where's the link to the training and all of that. So you don't waste time because she hadn't, she didn't have one minute to waste. It was really packed. And, uh, and yeah, people get to know each other. They get to see their uh, faces in a very social and um, different setting that's not related to the training directly. So there are so many things that could be done uh, to help create this environment where uh, people uh, feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves and they can learn from each other uh, and create, create the setting for it. So this is part of the things that you can create. And of course you need to create the activities, the, you know, the collaboration, but like you said, you have your objective in mind, everything that you do goes back to that. How are you gonna get them from point A to point B? What do you want them to, uh, to learn? What do you want them to get out of your session? And you, you create and you um, nurture the conversations and the session accordingly. And yeah, I like to prepare lots of questions, uh, open questions, and I like to use visuals. People love visuals, um, sometimes to get them thinking. Uh, and honestly, I try to avoid using too many tools because it can be confusing. And if you're on your own, it's something that could be tricky. Ideally, if you have someone who can support you, like sometimes I have a colleague of mine that um, comes to sessions with me and she would be like my backup in case there is any technical issue. If I need to launch something on the screen and also talk about something else, it's always good to have like a, a co-facilitator if it's possible, but if it's not, you need to manage um, 
like you can. And, um, and yeah, so I avoid using lots of tools um, and it needs to be smooth for people so that you don't waste time and you don't lose them because every minute counts. So uh, be comfortable with the technology, test it. If you need to use polls, test them beforehand. Don't just come and use polls on the first time on the session. It's gonna be chaotic. So, uh, so yeah, test things, create a safe environment, connect with people. I, I, I personally try to uh, remember people's names, first names, and call them with their first name, makes them like feel um, valued and uh, appreciated. And it's like the, it's like eye contact. If you, I'm saying, Nathan, can you tell me about that? Then uh, just asking a question randomly so you can engage with people directly and help them feel like their perspective is important. It's important for every one of them to be uh, participating and get something out of the learning. So yeah, I use their names, I get to know them, and this, this is work, but it's, uh, it's definitely worth it. Uh, using different techniques, using role plays, you know, anything, and there are limitless uh, examples of activities you could use. And a lot of different ideas came up to me, which is good. This is one of the reasons I enjoy having these conversations. And actually, if you look at, so I went on the training course earlier this year before everything started to happen, or just on the cusp of everything was happening, and they had a WhatsApp group. So everyone they created a WhatsApp group for afterwards. And I remember you know, the, the amount of engagement that is still going on in that WhatsApp group when we are six months down the line from going through that, tra that training experience. It's like I say, it's creating a space where people can get together beforehand and after. Okay, you want to minimize the amount of technology potentially is being used kind of, you know, to reduce the complexity. And at the same time, you want a space where actually learners can get together before, consolidate, you know, get to know each other go through the learning experience, then come out the other side and still connect with each other as they're testing stuff out and sharing successes and failures and lessons and stuff like this. So you need that. The other part that came up to me in my thinking was there's this model, especially in social media, for selling products and selling services of these five-day challenges where you have these short learnings over a short period of time, which is always a ramping up to sell a product. It's all you know. It's always you know. It's, it's five days of activity, and it's, you know, you get everyone into a Facebook group, and we get them really hyped up, and we give them some value. And at the end of it, you know, we've got them so hyped up, they just want to say yes to five thousand pounds worth of product, whatever it is. Fantastic. But actually, the same idea is relevant to a virtual classroom, where you could do say a five-day challenge idea, where you're dropping in five you know individual modules over the course of five days with a little activity through the course of the five days that equals your full day of content but you give that person kind of a schedule of here's your you know here's your idea here's your activity go and execute it tomorrow morning and we'll see you at three o'clock tomorrow and it's going bam 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 five days six days piece of content six actions and they're already taking action and moving themselves forward but like, it's, it's that collaboration in a community getting people together and then keeping that you know that momentum of where they learn a new thing, take action, learn a new thing, take action, and, and keep forcing that, uh, the hand in the most positive way. Absolutely, and this is where learning happens and change, behavioral change happens. When, when people are applying what they learn and learning from each other and sharing, I mean, things are much better when you're sharing it with someone else and you can learn from, you know, you, cannot, you can learn on your own, but it's better when it's more effective and quicker when you're learning with others.
Mm. Well, definitely, you can create any type of learning experience. This is why I like the word experience, because virtual learning is just one option. It's not just not always the right one. And sometimes, you know, there are better learning experiences like gamification and things like that. The reason I got excited is about, you know, I can go a little bit spiritual woo-woo just for two seconds. Yeah, is we are the universe experiencing itself through itself. That's the whole reason we exist. You know, so we, as individuals, when we heighten our ability to create an experience, you know, it becomes, you know, it becomes a more, um, we make, I make my training experiential. I want people to experience what I'm, what they're learning by me doing it to them at the same time. So if I'm teaching them open questions, I ask them lots of open questions to help them understand the questions that I'm using. Mm. You know, and as, as human beings, when we um, elevate that experience that we create, we bring more people to us, we magnetize new jobs, we magnetize the right people. Uh, the people come to the training environment because they enjoy it. And then when they leave, it's because of, because of the experience that you as a trainer have created then enables them to go and create a different experience over here in the environments they are. So like you say, you know, is being in L&D, being a trainer, a coach, whatever, is about creating an environment, an experience for the individual to come to, to learn, the learner experience, and then take that and action it immediately over here, which changes their experience moving forward for the rest of their lives and their careers, potentially. Absolutely. That's why I got excited. This is where you would have made an impact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, that's this why, is why we do what we do, Nathan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going back to your why. <laughs> and it is this. But, you know, I've talked to other people about this. One of my challenges around L&D um, is that, or, and especially leadership development, especially that as a very specific thing, there is um, a huge disconnect with people actually having leadership experience or being on the front line in, in a some way shape and delivering the content you know is they haven't got the experience they haven't had the experience they haven't created an experience in order to bring it over here to kind of create this bubble over here where they can teach more people to do that mm -hmm. so for me you know, that that disconnect is you know well actually what experience are you creating have you got any credibility as a leader or working with exactly you? it's about credibility absolutely and you, and you can't create you know, the experience you're creating from that space is disconnected there you know there's there's, a, there's a, they're, they're in isolation almost mm. this is why people who have experienced something really bad sometimes and they got out of it and they want to teach others how to avoid it are the ones that people listen to most because they know that they know what they've experienced and it's not that they imagine in their mind it's like when you're not a parent and you're trying to give advice to uh, to other parents <laughs> you know most of the time parents look at you like okay what's your credibility with that if you have enough you it doesn't count <laughs> so, so uh, yeah it's uh, there are things in life if you don't experience them yourself it's hard to talk about them. Of course, it doesn't apply to everything, but if you, um, the more you know about it, you would have experienced it, the more you'd be able to talk about it in a way that uh, the learners would understand and they would feel connected, like they would feel like you get them. Exactly that. And those people that haven't got kids that try and teach other parents how to raise their kids, you know, my response is normally, thank you. Let me know how that <laughs> works when you have your own kids, you know? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, like I say it's that connection piece. It, it comes back to that experience. If you haven't had the experience, how can you create an experience that's going to change someone else's experience? You know, it, it, 
you know, I'm not going to deprive people of their pain or whatever. I've had my my understandings and my, and my moments inside my career, inside my leadership journey, all those things. I'm not going to deprive someone else the pain of going through that because it's important that they do experience it because that's giving them the impetus to move. What mm-hmm. I do then is provide them the tools and the understandings of what I went through previously that enables them to make that decision faster based on the wisdom of the failures and, and mess ups, etc., that I've done before that enables them to do something better than I did faster because I want that person to supersede me as quickly as possible so they can elevate their thinking. Absolutely. That's the important part of it. Helping others succeed where you have struggled and you succeeded, hopefully. A little bit. I'm getting there. It's still a work in progress, but we're, we're still working on this. Look, so we t- that's amazing. I love going into that element. One part you talked about is kind of is creating that, that thinking. What is it? Let me change the question. How do you make behavioral change stick? Yeah, I think there are different components in that. But first, let me say that change is a process. It's not an event. This is why I get back to saying, you know, having a virtual classroom is not going to change anything. And I recent, recently posted about something like I, it, it drives me crazy when people attend a learning or a class or whatever. And they think that the change must have happened. How come I didn't, uh, this didn't work? Where, where's the outcome of, uh, of uh, this investment that I've made in my time and money and all of that? So learning takes time. It's a journey. It's not uh, something that just happens. It's not an event. It's, and we always have like this uh, need to have things immediately. You know, the world is moving too fast and we need something right now. Well, this is not how it works. Behavioral change takes time. Otherwise, we would be doing the same things um, all over again, all the time. And hopefully we succeed in some of them. So after a training, people might feel energized. I feel like it's easy to make the change. I have all the knowledge, all the tools to go um, and get there. So they are motivated. And that's like what we usually call the honeymoon phase, where you're like happy, everything seems easy. And then you fall back into your habits. So how do you avoid that? First, you need to be really motivated. You need, I think you need to have like, this is why the expectations of the learners are important so that they are clear about why they are there. Why are they in the session? What are they learning? What, why are they learning it? How is it, how is it gonna help them perform better or uh, be a better leader or whatever the subject is? So they need to be clear about that and they need to have this intrinsic motivation. Um, because otherwise it's going to be hard for them to change their behavior if they don't believe in it. Because things are going to get rough at some point. It's going to be hard to change the habit. And if they are not motivated, it's going to be hard to persevere, to, uh, to stick to it. So the thing is, um, it needs to be, you need to be consistent. You need to be, uh, to practice. You need, you're going to fail and you need to be okay with that. You know, so it's a continuous improvement process uh, in some way. So, and it takes time. And this is why, for example, blended learning is important because it's, uh, and this is why I kept coming back to it because you can help people apply and then share their experience and learn from each other and improve. And you can use so many different ways, you know, whether it's peer-to-peer coaching, like you mentioned, like having people just come, come, come up together and discuss things before the session there are so many ways that you can help them through this continuous process with time 
And I think one another, another important component having the, is having the right environment that support the behavioral change. So uh, what I mean by that is having the environment where people feel safe and where, they, where failure is accepted um, and it's okay to fail, where people, where you have cultures of feedback, you know, genuine feedback, not just pointing out what's going wrong, uh, where you allow people to fail, you give them feedback and you support them as they learn and they get up and try again. Because, it, I mean, they're not going get, to get it the first time. It's really hard. So it needs to be experiential. They need to be able to apply, to fail, to get feedback. So the, I think, you know, the line manager's role is really important um, in supporting that. And sometimes it could be some, someone else. But really having like this reinforcement, uh, the coaching, sharing in groups, the peer support, the learners themselves that, like you mentioned, the WhatsApp group, like continuing the conversation, supporting each other. So you can, it doesn't rely, it's not the responsibility of the facilitator to create all of that. The, the person facilitating the virtual classroom, if you want to go back to that. But for behavior change to happen, there are different elements. So there is the person, the learner, who needs to be like the, drive, the driver's seat, be motivated to do it. Um, they need to be, you know, you can create the experience for them, like we mentioned, uh, that will allow them to apply and, uh, and learn. And you need the support from the right environment um, to make sure that they get feedback, uh, they get to share with others, get ideas and learn and see, see watch their progress as well and see their progress and uh, celebrate success as well. Nathan, Nathan, I lost you. I can't hear you. There you are. Back. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that that moment that you were talking about the learner understanding where they're going, and actually, it is the learner's responsibility. It's their responsibility to learn. In, a, in the nicest possible way, it's not the trainer's responsibility. The trainer is there to kind of facilitate a space for them to get that learning. But the learner themselves needs to know why they're coming there. They need to have the motivation to make that happen. They need to know what they're coming for, what they're coming out of it with and actually encouraging them to be the driver and you just to be almost the Google Maps. You to there to kind totally. of give the kind of the guidance and facilitate the journey so that they know where they're going and what they're going, where the brakes are, all those sorts of things, and making that happen. So actually they're engaged and they want to learn and it does it happens over that journey. Amazing. Yep. Helena, you know, I'm respectful of time. I don't know you're getting to that point. Last question for me, where can people find you? The easiest way is LinkedIn. So um, actually my uh, first name is French, it's Hélène, but you can say Helen or Hélène or whatever. H-E-L-E-N-E, uh, -E -E, so it's Helen with an E. Uh, so yeah, I'm easily found on LinkedIn. I am uh, I'm check in LinkedIn very often, I post things. So uh, I love the collaboration there, uh, sharing with people, learning from others as well. Um, very collaborative tool that gets extended outside of you know a smaller uh, session so yeah best amazing. way is linkedin amazing we'll put the link in, the, in in below so that will come up so people can connect with you if you've got questions please reach out connect with hello and ask the question you want to speak about lnd you want to speak about virtual classrooms these no these are the ideas and thoughts that are going to help you create a better experience for your delegates for your people and it's worth having a conversation you can reach out to myself from our Making Business Matter, and also reach out to Helen. We're here to collaborate, we're here to help, and we're here to share ideas so that you create that experience for your people. 
I just want to say merci. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so very much. And look, everyone, if you haven't been paying attention, rewind, get your notebook back, take notes uh, and dig into this and help to create a better learning experience. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nathan. Firstly, massive thank you from the MBM team for tuning in to this sticky interview. If you haven't already done so, now is the time to click subscribe and stay up to date with our new training videos and great interviews. And secondly, if you want to learn more about the skills we've been talking about in this episode, click the link and take a look at the MBM virtual classrooms. They're there to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Until next time, see you soon.